Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music on our podcast show today, episode 152. My first guest is musician and sound engineer and my husband, Sean Trotter. He's talking all about microphones and sound systems for voice teachers, the executive director of the National Association of Teachers of Singing, Alan Henderson is telling us all about the exciting details of the 2022 National Convention that is in Chicago. And my good friend and colleague Dana Lantini is sharing insight on the ages and stages of the child singer, gear, professional development, and pedagogy right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Hello, thank you, and welcome to another episode of the Full Voice Podcast. My name is Nikki Loney, and I am your host. I have an amazing show today, but before I invite my guests, I just want to check in with my wonderful listeners from around the world, from uh, from the major continents to tiny little islands uh, all over the world, wherever you are, uh, I'm saying hi. Hi, and I'm sending you a virtual hug. Um, I don't know about you, but if you're listening to this podcast at time of release, we're about mid-December, and friends, I have taught my last lesson for 2021, and I'm not going to lie, I'm relieved, (laughs) and I am looking forward to having some time where I am not teaching lessons. I love my students, but I also need uh, to take care of me and I want to hang out and do some fun things with my family. And honestly, that is my my wish and my deepest desire uh, for all of my friends and colleagues. If, uh, if you have finished for the year or if you've got a few more lessons, hang in there. Um, you deserve to uh, have some time off. And I do hope that it is rejuvenating and peaceful and wonderful and you can refill uh, your glass and uh, come back in 2022 uh, strong and inspired. So um, a big hug to all my friends and colleagues around the world. uh, And I do hope that you get to enjoy the holidays. Now, I do want to mention to everybody... Uh, Our next episode is actually going to air on New Year's Eve. Now, I know many of you might be out celebrating on New Year's Eve, but uh, many of us actually like to stay home and get cozy on New Year's Eve, but we have a podcast release on the 31st, and it's a little different episode. I've actually, over the past year, uh, when interviewing my wonderful expert guests, I've been asking them a question, and that is, what book are you reading right now that you're really loving, or what book has really made an impact with you, maybe it was with your business or with your teaching studio or just something that you've really enjoyed. So on the 31st, uh, you're going to hear from a lot of our expert guests, but uh, they're going to be sharing uh, some wonderful reading. And that's one thing I do like to do over the holidays is is get uh, cozy with some hot chocolate and 
a warm weighted blanket by the fire and do some reading. So anyhow, that is our episode 153. It's coming up on December 31st. Now, without further ado, I have amazing guests. And the first one I know very, very well. Um, but he, uh, you, and you, you know him in a way. Uh, Sean is uh, my husband, but he is also the music and media director here at Full Voice Music. He takes care of all our videos uh, and all of our music. He's also an incredibly talented musician. So a lot of the backing tracks that you are using when you use any of our single song downloads or, you know, if you had fun with gingerbread, comma, man this past season. Um, Sean is the um, musician behind the scenes when it comes to guitar, mandolin, bass, drums, uh, ukulele. Uh, He does so much for us here. Now, Sean happens to have a passionate (laughs) relationship with microphones and a sound equipment. So um, recently on one of the teacher trainings uh, that we do um, at Full Voice Music, so once a month I usually have uh, one or two classes, and if you want more information about our teacher training, please visit our website, thefullvoice.com. Uh, and you'll see the uh, information about our our workshops. They're live workshops. But one of the questions came up in our recent uh, workshop was about um, microphones because we were talking about contemporary music and working on contemporary music. And one of the things that is essential and very helpful is allowing your students to use microphones and teaching your students how to use microphones. So I wanted to bring in an expert, someone who knows literally microphones inside and out. So uh, I'm going to welcome Sean onto the show and he's going to share all of his insight on microphones and sound amplification systems. Did you hear that? That was my phone. (laughs) Welcome. This is so strange. Welcome to the podcast that you edit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is my delightful husband, Sean Trotter. And um, if uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, you can ha- you have him to thank because it was your idea that we. It's all sh- my fault. It's all your <laughs> fault. Uh, and and I full disclosure, we're recording this little segment uh, before our son comes home because mm-hmm. uh, he's coming home soon. And like yes. he's noisy, he's noisy. There's usually like basketball and things thumping and yeah. cats running when he gets home. So, but today we were talking about. Uh, microphones and simple microphone setups that teachers can utilize in their studios. And there's a lot Mm. of concerns obviously with hygiene and COVID and, but also for a lot of teachers, like working with sound systems and microphones is, is a new thing. Mm -hmm. And I would like to add that I have sung into many a microphone over my long, long career, but I don't know the ins and outs of them, and that's why I've invited you here. Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of uh, a lot of music teachers are working on contemporary commercial musics, popular musics, and mm-hmm. and one of the things that is essential in that genre is um, microphones. Learning how to use a microphone, right. and uh, so. Uh, 
it's helpful to know a little bit about them, especially if you're new to them. And you also have some recommendations for some simple, simple setups that mm-hmm. teachers can invest in for mm-hmm. their studios. Yeah, I do. Um, maybe a good way to look at it is you're going to need you're going to well, you're going to need a few things. You're going to need a microphone, but you're also going to need something to plug it into. You can't just, of course, just buy a microphone. Um, you're going to need a small. Um, compact PA of some kind to to amplify that. You're going to need some cables and uh, probably a stand as well would mm-hmm. be would be quite helpful. Sure. Um, but let's start with mics. So um, what I recommend uh, for singers and you're learning how to perform with a microphone is uh, what we refer to as a dynamic microphone um, with a cardiopolar pattern. I hope that makes sense. Uh, but basically. If you look at any concert, you know, photos or videos, you'll see people holding, you know, having these handheld mics. Those mm-hmm. are those, for the most part, are what we call dynamic mics. They don't require electricity to make them work. They're they're self sufficient. They're really really rugged uh, mm-hmm. for the most part, mm-hmm. and um, you know, they're meant to be held in your hand. And um, and of course, you you want to take care of them, but uh, but they'll they'll survive a few falls and bumps and bruises kind sure, of thing. Sure. Um, and as a matter of fact, I'm speaking into one of those right now that I've had for <laughs> I don't know 25 years, maybe. Right. Yeah. And um, it's quite disgusting looking after all the <laughs> after all the, the, the gigs I've done with it and everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that's what you want to get. You want to get um, one. You know, for singing, a di- what's called a dynamic microphone. Now, a really good example of, of that, um, like product-wise, um, is, is a company called Shure. Um, the kind of the standard microphone is what we call an SM58, mm-hmm. and that's actually what I'm speaking into right now. Um, they put them out, I think, in 1966, and they became they quickly became a favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, people have them forever, you know, just, just like I have here. I have several of them, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of other brands, of course, that have copied Sure over the years, and they make wonderful microphones as well. Some companies mm-hmm. like Samsung, um, uh, uh, CAD, CAD, um, Apex, um, and so on and so on and so on. Um, but, you know, if, if you're in it for the, for the long haul, I would just kind of my recommendation and I'm not being endorsed by sure or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And if there's a sure rep listening to this, I would love to be endorsed by you. So <laughs> we'll with podcast give me a call. Yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but um, you might as well just go ahead and get the, the SM 58. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're going to run you uh, between a hundred and 150, depending on where you're, mm-hmm. where you're looking if you're in Canada, you can go to Long and McQuaid, of course, yeah. um, any music store. But Sweetwater in the States is a great place, you know, sure. if you want to order it online. Um, and I'm not being critical of Amazon uh, when I say this, but there's a lot of bad knockoffs out there. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. And you want to kind of, I, I mean, you might luck out and get something that's, that's great, mm-hmm. but chances are... Well, why waste your money? Mm-hmm. You know, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, so a Sure Fifty Eight, and um, you'll get them. Also, uh, you'll find them with like an on-off switch and without. So that's that's a personal <laughs> preference. Um, I think having the on-off switch is probably a good idea. Um, okay, is it because? 
sometimes people <laughs> forget to okay, switch it true. on. I mean, if in the studio, it can be very helpful, but sometimes live performances, people forget. That, and okay. They, forget, and then they, forget the switch. The, you didn't turn your microphone off. <laughs> Love that. You sound great. <laughs> I've done that. Um, I've yeah. done that several times because my personal microphone does not have the on-off switch. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, Those yeah. have always been my favorite performances. Okay. When my microphone was off. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Love you, babe. Um, is, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's uh, so that that's what I kind of recommend for a microphone. Um, now, you're going to need to, of course, hook it up to to something. So you're going mm-hmm. to also need to get what's known as an XLR cable mm-hmm. to go with that, or a, a microphone cable. That's pretty standard these days. There used to be. Back in the day, I guess there were all sorts of varieties and shapes and forms of ways to plug in your microphones, different configurations. But it's pretty standard now. You just say like a microphone cable. Mm -hmm. But just to be safe, it's called an XLR cable, three pin. Okay, so it's got three pins on it. Um, Now, that being said, if you're working with students in your studio and you're learning how to use mics and all that kind of stuff... um, even in the best of times, um, you need to remember that microphones and their grills, well, you're, I mean, you're, you're singing right into them, right? Well, so yeah, that would of, be... There's a lot of germs there, going on It's there. pretty gross. So, it, yeah. I mean, with, and with COVID, I mean, yeah. in some cases we can't be using them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's... It, and yeah, and like I said, even in a non-pandemic time, it, it can get pretty, pretty gnarly. So I would recommend... If it's possible that if your students are working with mics, you're at that point that you get them to get their own mics, if if possible, mm-hmm. um, and it just becomes part of their gear that they bring to their their lessons, mm-hmm. and you know later, if they want to do a public performance of some kind, or they right, want to they go have to, their own microphone, yeah, they yeah. go to karaoke or something, yeah. right? Right? It's always a good idea to have your own your own mic. And yeah. we yeah. had that at in college. Like you, mm-hmm. that was part of you had to bring your mic and your cable mm-hmm. to your performance classes and you plugged it into the sound system in the classroom which was chained yeah. to the wall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh Weird. and there was a day where I left my microphone behind and it disappeared. Oh really? Yeah, I got stolen. My first microphone was stolen oh. and I learned my lesson. What kind was it? It was actually not an expensive one, so I, I actually then replaced it with a with a fifty eight. With the, the beta fifty eight. Beta yeah. fifty eight. The yeah. more expensive, you know, fancier fifty eight. It had blue trim it on it. It was very pretty. I remember that. That one. thing lasted me over twenty years. Mm-hmm. Like it it was a good microphone. And I can there were many times where I did use that in my gigs and I was glad that I had my own microphone. Oh yeah. So as a as if you're working with you know, young adults or, or who are looking to be professionally playing. I think this is not an unreasonable, reasonable yeah. request. Well, I think I look at it like it's it's like any part of your any gear. gear, any instrument. Like like, well, I play guitar. I mean, I don't want to go and play somebody else's guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. You, you know, I feel bad for pianos for pianists that have to you know they've accompany somebody and they they're stuck with a, a lousy piano. No, oh, that I, yeah, I, I feel for so them. Fun. But um, now. Yeah. I wanted to ask about um, the PA, like mm. the 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 thing you the amp you plug it into, yeah. because that can be that can be a little overwhelming. There's right. a lot of buttons. There's a lot of stuff. But there's a lot of stuff going. There's on. some really simple setups now. Yep. Like you don't have to get the big, you know, yep. multi-channeled board, and then yeah, all of yeah that especially stuff. if you're in your in your studio, just trying to 
teach teach the littles how to you know how to mm-hmm. use these things. Mm-hmm. Um, there are really small compact PAs, um, and I've got a, a few here. I'm gonna gonna recommend. Great. Um, now the kind of the the standard guy um, is made by a company called Mackie, and mm. it's an SRM 150. Okay. Now, anyway, what this is, is 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 basically a speaker with two mic inputs, and it's also got um, RCA inputs to plug in like a, you know, like a player of some kind. To oh, play, like, an, play like your phone and stuff mm-hmm. to play music? Oh, okay. As, yeah, as far as I know, I haven't checked, but uh, I don't think that one has Bluetooth capabilities. It, some it, of them do. Some of them do, yeah. Oh. yeah and I'll, I'm going to recommend one in a, in a oh, second okay. that does exactly that. But the Mackie's kind of the standard. It runs about... Three hundred dollars. That's not bad range, right? It's like it, it and it's. I've used them before. Um, I've actually used them for small gigs, like weddings. Yeah, we've and, done that. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and I've used it as like a personal monitor on a on a larger stage where I have to kind of, you know, have my own thing. Because the cool thing about it, it's being it's very small, lightweight, and can actually go on a mic stand. So if you're standing and playing, you can kind of have this thing. Oh, there, it's it's, it's so pretty. It's, it doesn't have to be on the floor. Yeah, yeah it's nice. a good. It's a good. It's yeah, a good yeah. thing to have. Yeah. Um, now that being said, I mean, you may want to check the Mackie website. They they may have upda- updated it, but as far mm. as I know, they haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a company called uh, Behringer who mm. makes pretty much a clone of this of this thing, and um, they've just updated. I think it's called uh, Euroline Euroline B105, I believe. And it's much cheaper. It's mm. like around the um, $100, $150 range. Mm. And it's basically got all the same stuff, but it also has Bluetooth and a USB port. Mm-hmm. So if you got your phone, you got a track, um, you know, you're doing like, I don't know, the hot chocolate song. Oh, no, or Pretty Kitty Unicorn. <laughs> Whatever. You need to amplify that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you want to make it louder for yourself. You can, you can, if you've got it on your phone or your tablet or whatever, you can just Bluetooth that in. Oh, um, that's cool. Kind of thing for the, for the kiddos to kind of practice mm-hmm. along with. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's very handy. Now, um, and that, that was, that's about, I think it's about 50 watts of power, which is plenty for mm-hmm. your studio. Um, yeah, and, and you don't need to like. Oh no! When I've set up the the speaker in the in the studio, I mean, it's barely at one. Yeah. It's so. Yeah, you don't need to kill. You it, don't so. need to kill it, and they just need to hear that slight bit of amplification and learn, you know, the microphone technique. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, if you want to get a little fancier, there there are other you know bigger versions of the same thing. Um, there's a company called um, called Yorkville um, oh, out, of, yeah. out of Toronto. And they make something called an excursion mini, um, mm. and um, it's like it's got several speakers, and uh, it's much bigger, much more power. Mm. Um, but it has uh, effects on it. It's got reverb, for mm-hmm. example. So then that's one thing that these smaller ones lack. So if you mm. wanted to have like that that room sound that you hear, on, right? That's called reverb. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't get that on these smaller guys. Sure. Um, I mean, you can hunt around. There may be other brands, like who knows? Yeah. You know, you can spend all day looking at stuff, mm-hmm. right? But, um, but yeah, it all depends on what you what you want to do. Um, and uh, I think that one actually, what I liked about it also when I was doing a little research this morning was it's actually battery powered. So if you oh. were, you know, if you were doing your lessons outside, for example, <gasps> mm. in these times, and right? Many people are doing lessons sure. outside. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or you. Need so you to... don't have to drag a, a an extension cord out. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're the kind of teacher that um, 
I don't know, if, if you're going into people's homes and you need to take stuff, it's yep. like no big deal, right? You mm, just, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so so something like that is also a, a viable option as well. Mm. Um, as for, I've, I've had people ask me about things like, well, I've got like a karaoke machine from Walmart. Oh. Um, I, I don't know how well yeah. that's going to work, to be honest with you. They're, they're designed to kind of... Um, they accentuate the the bass, right? Like they, they <laughs> yes. right? Because they're they're trying yeah. to make them sound better than they are. Yeah. And uh, you're gonna get, I don't know. I think I just think that that's it's a it could be a problem unless it's a really high quality one. So yeah, I've had a couple of students that on on Zoom calls they've they've brought out the karaoke machine, and and it, well, what's interesting is there always seems to be these weird delays and effects on the voice, yeah. and and although that can be fun, it can also be a huge distraction. Um, and then I, I have some singers that will want all that distraction on there because right. sure. they want to hide, sure, which is problematic in many ways. But uh, and the other the other thing that I students have had are those karaoke microphones that just have the speaker on the microphone oh yeah that yeah stay away from that yeah, stuff. D- yeah. <laughs> it's never no, worked no no well. that's, that's that's not what you want you yeah. know um well maybe it is what you want but, but it's not what you need um right. yeah so i would st- i would stay steer clear of that mm-hmm. stuff um something else to kind of consider and and i've seen this happen to your students um mm. you, you know and and other uh, folks that haven't been able to you know sing in public before um is what happens is you get up on stage and you're not in your small teaching mm-hmm. studio anymore, right? Yep. Where you can kind of hear everything. Yeah. And you're in this big room or just a weird room or maybe it's really echoey or mm-hmm. whatever. And you're singing into a PA and you've got the speakers up on mm-hmm. the wall or mm-hmm. they're on stands. And all of a sudden your voice is coming out of some box way <laughs> yes. over there somewhere. Yeah. Right. Or maybe there's stage monitors, mm-hmm. you know, right there. And all of a sudden your voice is coming from the floor and it's in your face, you know, really, mm-hmm. really loud. Something that I would suggest is with these small PAs in your lesson studio, once they've done this a few times, it might be kind of fun to just move it around, move yeah. the PA around. So that sure. So they, they get used to hearing yeah, it. So, they, so it sounds different, right? That's a great tip. Yeah. Cause, well, thank you. But um, when, when, Speakers are on stands or on the wall. Mm. Sometimes you're also hearing the vibration of the the wood cabinets that they're in. Mm. So it's this kind of really weird, muffly sound. Mm-hmm. And then it's also echoing off the back of the that hall. Was, yeah. It's weird. I'm glad right? you mentioned that because that was a big thing that my students had and I had to get used to um, in the church that at Erskine yeah. because it was mostly the sound bouncing off of the back wall of the sanctuary yeah, yeah. coming back. So like it really threw people. But when you get used to it though, like I loved that. That was mm-hmm. like, but you know me, I hated having monitors and I mm-hmm. would always make you turn off my monitors because I wanted to hear the sound coming off of the wall, not coming yeah. out at my ankles. But, but And that's great. And yeah, but not everybody would not like everybody. That. No, exactly. But that's one of the things I always encouraged my students is like, like, let's talk about where do you hear your voice? Like, like it's that active listening mm-hmm. that is a challenge and I would like to just mention to teachers out there, you're going to see your students react in a visceral way about hearing their voices amplified. And for some of your students, it's going to be like unhappy feelings Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're going to have to help them through that. It's, it's tough. It really is tough. And if you get in with a band, 
too. Oof. And they, you know, you've got guitar and bass amps, mm-hmm. you know, blasting out yep. from behind you, drum set, the whole thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's something. Like it, it is so different. And I mean, I'm I'm so thankful. I mean, uh, Erskine was such an amazing place. We had the sound system, mm-hmm. and then we had a good my, sound system. We had too. a great sound system, and I had uh, a sound expert who could properly like eq and and balance the the speakers and the monitors you know the other thing that we did prior to having the band Mm -hmm. um with for recitals was when we had it was usually either you playing guitar and for all my listeners sean has played every taylor swift tune every every every, ever written on the planet and also probably never in the original key no never (laughs) So pray little, for him. Little, little 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 secret is is I would actually have my phone and headphones. Oh yeah, because like, you couldn't what, remember which, which one song? was which one. I know because they're they're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> so poor Sean. So my first recitals was either Sean playing the guitar or um, our our good friend Ann Barnshaw playing piano, but we still used a microphone because little voices cannot compete yeah. with. And and I'm, I mean, this is the beautiful thing. Both you and Anne are phenomenal accompanists. And one of the beautiful things about a talented accompanist is that they can look at the performer, especially children, and mm. see that this little voice cannot make the big sounds. And I'm going to play at a volume that is appropriate. That is, I have seen that time and time again where little voices are being yeah. squished. Yeah, well, you get somebody's somebody's brother or sister comes in right? to accompany them. Yeah. And it's cute and everything, but they but just they just drown them right out. They yeah. drown them right out. And and of course, you know, teachers work so hard. We're trying to instill healthy singing techniques. And um, especially if you're doing contemporary music and you're singing lower in the range, that volume is not, even the volume from the original artist is not acoustically created like mm-hmm. if i if i'm singing really low in my voice i'm my face is right up against that microphone yeah. and yeah. the microphone boosts it so and when we're recording oh, we use yeah. and and live like like professional live stuff we use things called compressors yeah. and um and other things to kind of make everything even so yeah. when the singers sing in quiet they got help it, you know yeah. on the recording it, well, it's not like that naturally and and i would like to say that I got a lot of compliments from parents because they could actually hear their children. Oh, well, that's good. At the at the recitals. Because, uh, you know, as much as I'd love it to be a learning opportunity, having a poor child drowned out by an accompanist is not the learning opportunity that you need or want. Right. <laughs> right. Now, now, that being said, we should probably mention mic placement too. Yes. Okay, oh, sure. Yeah, when, you're right. working, when you're working with the kids, yeah. Um, so I'm sure some... Some of your listeners use microphones all the time and some do not. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to sing into the microphone. Yes. And I, I like to use the, the two finger rule. So I kind of think of it this way. Um, so, you know, hold, hold two of my fingers up and that's how far away, you know. Yeah. So in front of your mouth, point. in yeah. front of your mouth, there's two fingers and that's like the starting point for the distance. Right. That's the, two, that's what I have always taught yeah. my students. Yeah. And, and that works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing you don't want to do with a dynamic microphone mm. is you don't want to get right in there. You get something called proximity effect. Mm. Okay. You can, you can bring that up at the next cocktail party you're at. Um, <laughs> I'm so fancy. <laughs> oh, I my. love my proximity effect. Um, <laughs> but what that means is when you get too close, it 
gets really bassy. So, mm. Matter of fact, I'm going to do it right now because this is this is a vocal microphone. So if I get in, it's probably really bassy right now. But I like that. And now I'm back no. away. <laughs> like I know I know you like that. <laughs> but um, that's um, it, it, that does have a time and a place. Yeah. By the way, it can um, be a tool. It can totally be a tool. But if you're you're doing it by accident mm-hmm. and you're and you're not getting a nice clear sound. Sure. That could have something to do with it. And also if you're just if you're too far away, right? I'm getting further away. Okay, so know. for my listeners, yeah. okay, do that again and talk. Hey. Sean Sean's about like a foot and a half away now. Yep. And uh you can hear it thins out. That's what yes. I always tell my students. Yeah, it this right it, it, it thins out your voice. You, you there's and I always tell them there's a sweet spot. Yep. You gotta find the sweet spot. Find that sweet spot. And anyhow, and you don't want it angled down. No. Um or, or anything like that. It's gotta be up up in front of your mouth. Okay, so I see that a lot and it's a big massive pet peeve mm-hmm. like like especially public speakers too where they rest oh. they hold the microphone and they literally rest their hand on their chest yeah. so that the microphone is like pointed at the yeah, it's their underside your, of their chin yeah, it's picking up your adam's apple yes like, that's not going to do anything. so and and that and of course you can't hear them no there's no amplification and i i i that is like Especially weddings, I can't even. Oh, it's the worst thing I ever. Can't you even. can't hear them anymore. And then, <laughs> and then somebody comes up and they actually speak into the mic and they blow you away because it's right. so loud. Or so. somebody turns it up and then it starts to feed back. Right. Um, you do see, uh, in all fairness, you do see um, some pros really backing away from their mic sometimes, mm. but they have good mic technique. Like they're they're yeah. actually they're. You know they're they're gauging that to how loud. I'm thinking of like Freddie Mercury when he would. Oh do, yeah, like you know, and he'd be like dancing and running on well, the he, stage. He totally knew what he was doing. Oh, right? He was his time. own sound man. He was basically, basically with that yeah, microphone. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, some folks like like you will see professional stuff sometimes. That's a little weird. They're a little further away. And I don't yeah. know if that's because they think they're on TV or something. But yeah. don't forget, they've got a professional crew sitting there. Yeah. They've got one person dedicated to that one microphone. Sure. That's their job. Yes. I'm going to make whoever this is sound really great. Yeah, for um, sure. So we were talking a little bit earlier, you were mentioning about like cleaning them, right? Because mm-hmm. obviously <laughs> yes. COVID is an issue and yep. it's still an issue. And um uh, and even even if it wasn't an issue, like really, you it's don't. Just, it's just gross. Yeah, like, you don't want to have the same stuff. So, what are what are some of the recommendations for like <laughs> microphone hygiene? Is right, that what we right. call it? Yeah, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Okay. Get get the gunk out. Okay. Uh-huh. So, um, dynamic mics, uh, for the most part. Um, uh, I'll just speak for the fifty eight again. Sure. The, the sure, sure fifty eight. Um, the the capsule or the, the the mesh screen on top actually screws off, so it just right. it so just kind of twist twists off. off, right? And inside there, there's a um, like a um, a foam lining that can actually pull out. Mm-hmm. And kind of the recommended thing to do is to um, is to kind of rinse that out and use a little bit of soapy water, just oh, a little bit, okay. right? Okay. And I never a little ever bit. did that with my yeah, we know. <laughs> Oh my but, goodness! Yeah, I know, right? But, but um, anyhow, so so do that, and then um, you know, let it dry completely, right? right? And then, as for the the metal, uh, the, the mesh screen, take mm-hmm. a 
clean toothbrush, not your, not Ew. the one you use. Okay, clean, not used <laughs> for uh, only. How about an unused, previously unused toothbrush? <laughs> and you can kind of get it in there and get, get you know, get, get the lunch out of there or whatever. Oh, nasty. Yeah. And, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, don't, um, don't clean or wipe the, what we call the membrane, like the, the, the guts of the, oh, uh, so what when you'll you see in there, the when capsule. you unscrew the cap, mm-hmm. the top, there's the yes. actual, there's the actual thing. The it, diaphragm. It, it also has a piece of foam on it. You don't need to clean that piece of foam. Do not touch that. Yeah, don't, don't touch that. Um, now, I mean, if this is your, your own personal microphone, that it's just you that you're using, which I highly recommend again, um, you don't have to clean it really that often. If you've had a nasty cold or, or something mm, and you were there, you it, go. You know, maybe maybe go do it then, or do it do it once or twice a year if you if if you're using it a lot, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Uh, kind of thing, or something gets spilled on it, yeah. or, or whatever. Um, but uh, you'll see on. I've seen them. I find them kind of gimmicky. They're they, they kind of came out when when people were getting back to singing again but uh you'll see like these microphone sanitary disposable microphone covers and they're like these sort of like the mask material and they kind of go over like a bag over top of it i have no clue if that's any good or or not um Mm. i'm gonna err on the side of saying no okay um but uh i'm not a doctor you know like like i I don't know i Mm. personally i wouldn't trust that you know, uh, kind of thing. Um, so that's up to you or maybe do some research or talk to yeah. an actual doctor about, you know, sure. is that a, you know, is that a viable yeah. solution? So I think, I think, uh, with the cleaning protocols that so many studio owners are going through, yeah. if right now microphones are maybe not <laughs> going to be used in the studio, I mm-hmm. think that's okay. But like you said, people are getting back to singing and yeah. performances yeah. And, and people are doing that. So, yeah. um, you know, just make sure that you know and yeah. you take care of things. I mean, and, and these, mic, these mics are pretty small and lightweight. You can mm-hmm. uh, carry it in your backpack or your purse. So if you're out, if you're a karaoke kind of person, <laughs> you know, or, mm-hmm. or, a, or um, you know, a, an open mic kind of person, take yeah. your own mic, yes. <laughs> you know, and yes, uh, yes, yes. I'm sure nobody will give you a hard time about that. So. Yeah, and sh- shame on the person that does. <laughs> right, exactly. That's not where you want to be, right? Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, I I want to thank you because you're, you're usually welcome. behind the scenes, but I am. You are you are for sure uh, an expert, and and I just want to let everybody know that Sean loves microphones. I do. He talks about them all the time. All, all the time. And sometimes he tries to talk to me about them. It doesn't work. And it's like, what is it like that? Peanuts teacher. <laughs> but no, I do appreciate, I do appreciate because uh, um, when we do recording and, and, and I will also say you, your dedication to the quality, the sound quality of this podcast, uh, we get a lot of compliments on that. A lot of people sound, it's clear. And I would have to say too, like, you know, sound Sound like microphone and amplification, um, and I want to sh- I want to just put this out to all my colleagues. Even if you are working more classically trained singers, I guarantee your students at some point in their lives yeah. are going to have a microphone put in front of them, mm-hmm. and the more they know and the more comfortable they are, will prevent 
really embarrassing moments on stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, you and I have witnessed some very talented people in very embarrassing situations. And it was such a shame. And it all came down to that they had never, Mm -hmm. ever used a microphone. They Mm -hmm. didn't understand. They didn't know how to use it. I remember somebody refusing to use the microphone. Yes. And then nobody could hear them. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were insulted. They were insulted. <gasps> yeah. We won't name names. No, no need. <laughs> Anyhow, so um, you know what, Sean? I'm going to have you back because not just because you're my husband and my my music and media person and my sound editor, editor for the podcast, <laughs> but because you actually know so much and you have a lifetime of performing. So thanks for popping on today. You're welcome. Uh, and sharing your info with me. Now i got to go edit all this No, you got to go edit it. Are you going to like edit like... Like all your ums and stuff. All oh, my ums, yeah. I, I um a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Can I critique it? No. All right, fine. Did you know that the Full Voice Podcast is part of the Nats Cast Network? We are thrilled to share information about the Nats organization and the wonderful opportunities that are available to voice professionals just like you. Joining me once again on the podcast is the executive director, Dr. Alan Henderson, and he is sharing the exciting details about the upcoming 2022 National Convention. In Chicago. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast, our fearless leader, Dr. Alan Henderson. How are you? I'm great. How are you today, Nikki? Oh, we're doing great. We're doing wonderful. And I am very excited because we are talking about the upcoming 2022 Nats Convention. And you had already given me a little heads up. I have to say you, you've got some wonderful plans and some amazing opportunities. So um, I can't wait. Let, let's, let's tell everybody what they've got uh, coming for them in, uh, in uh, July 2022. Right, July 1st through 6th. Uh, I'm just, well, first of all, after... How many every years it's going to be uh, <laughs> since we've been, it'll be four by then that we've actually kind of met live in person uh, as an organization in, an, in, a, com- in a big conference uh, setting. Uh, I know myself and many, many other people are just chopping at the bit just to be together uh, again, face to face and being able to wave at each other and hug each other and, you know, have, have these conversations at all hours of the day and night uh, and just kind of geek out a little bit on what we love uh, and, and learn a lot while we're together, but also fellowship together and, and learn, you know, meet new folks, um, buy new music, uh, you know, here's some great concerts and, uh, and take in all the professional development opportunities that are there. So, one of the things that I, when we started really thinking about this conference, you know, we always talk a lot about singing at quite a bit at our national conference. And, but, you know, in 2022, after all these years of kind of isolation and worldwide pandemic, we were really going to focus a lot on the participatory act of singing. 
and we're going to have a lot of infusion of actual singing uh, in lots of sessions and lots of our plenary events. Uh, just, you know, it'll just be so great uh, to sing together and be together and, and just enjoy that sense of community that we have. Um, and so I'm really excited about that aspect because it really has kind of transformed some of the ways that we're going to be doing some of our plenary sessions. Um, and one of the things we had planned for Knoxville before we had to go virtual was the very first grand song slam, um, you know, and so we're going to do that in Chicago. And so the plans are already rolling for that um, where we will have uh, a, an evening of brand new, never heard before art song. Uh, and we all will be in the audience getting to vote on the favorite ones uh, of the audience that get the prizes. Um, so it'll be really wonderful to see just right in front of our eyes, you know, art song being created and, and, and us absorbing that and reacting to that and how we, you know, how our hearts and, and our uh, minds respond to the creations by these different teams uh, and, and how we, you know, how we, vote and how it comes out in the end and um and also you know they're going to have all of these works almost literally turned around ready to sell to those who are going to be there so if you really get turned on by one you ought to be able to get it just like that almost immediately and have it you know something you can assign a student or or selfishly perform yourself <laughs> um, first before you give it to a student to perform I like that uh, that. And so that's going to be great. Um, and our opening session, we're going to have our community sing. This kind of started to become a little bit of a tradition. And we're going to have Clarice Assad leading us. And Clarice uh, lives in Chicago. She's a composer, pianist, arranger, singer, uh, more in the jazz space. If you look her up, you'll you'll hear a lot of her, but uh, of her of her singing. Um, she's uh, a daughter of one of the Assad brothers who many people might know from um, from their years of performing together. And um, she's really known, uh, as particularly a, as a composer, she's known for just creating these really evocative participatory uh, compositions. So one of the really exciting things we're working with her on now is hopefully premiering a new work, you know, as all the singers in the audience that she's going to write specifically for us to perform as a part of that um, community sing. So that'll be something that's just totally new and different and really exciting. Um, then we're going to have an evening with Jimmy Webb. And if you don't know who Jimmy Webb is, you probably do know who Jimmy Webb is. Um, if you like the song, now some of these are, People of a certain generation may know these better, uh, but Up, Up, and Away, and My Beautiful Balloon, uh, Wichita Lineman, several big Glenn Campbell hits, um, MacArthur Park, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, um, and, you know, hundreds of other chart-topping kind of songs. Uh, he's really the uh, he's the only artist that I know of. I think he's still the only artist that's received a Grammy award for music, lyrics, and orchestration. Uh, and so he, um, 
he's worked with so many great singers. He's written songs for them. He's had so many hits in different, you know, markets, the pop market, the country, the, uh, and, um, and so we're going to have an evening where he's going to talk about his work and talk about some of those songs. And then he's going to lead us in singing a lot of them as well uh, as a part of the concert. So we all get to kind of, you know, karaoke out with a real composer at the piano playing them for us uh, and telling us, you know, about the joy that he's had in working with various artists, singers, uh, and how that's shaped who he is and, and who he has been throughout his career. So I think that's going to be great. Uh, Craig Terry is going to give uh, a keynote address. Craig has a wonderful story just of you know, growing up in rural Tennessee, uh, you know, really getting excited about uh, music and playing, and performing. And he's been such a great advocate not only for creative programming, but for expanding our horizons, uh, not only for those of us who are collaborative pianists, but also for singers and those who program recitals. And he's, he's just a really known as a really wonderful partner with those he plays for, and he plays for just some of the most high profile leading you know, singers of the day. Uh, and so he's going to come and talk to us and inspire us, but he, he's, he's known for his interesting mashups, as I call them, that he puts together for singers and, uh, and his work with the Ryan Opera Center as well. And so he's going to come lead, lead us in one of those that he's going to put together for us as well. And one of the most exciting things to me that I know appeals especially to your audience um, is that we're going to celebrate the legacy of engaging children and families in singing with one of our plenary concerts. And I've had the most fun putting this together because of some of the people that are going to be on this concert. But uh, a lot of a lot of people know Ella Jenkins. She's kind of known as kind of the mother, really the great grandmother now <laughs> of, of children's uh, and family song uh, and the first kind of the first lady of children's music. Um, and you know she's got like 60 albums and she's a Smithsonian folkways artist and you know her first album was recorded in the 50s you know and still was was I think her latest one was in 2018 or something like that so she's in her 90s not performing anymore but uh, we're going to kind of sell use the fact that she lives in Chicago and that to kind of rally around um, this theme uh, because actually there's a documentary filmmaker who's making a, a documentary about Ella right now. And so he's going to be there and probably sharing some clips with us during the evening. Uh, but then we're going to have performances by uh, Red Grammer, who's another award-winning children's and family performer. Uh, and then uh, current generation artist in that market, Justin Roberts, who also lives in Chicago and I believe his wife's a Nats member, a member of the Chicago chapter of Nats as well. And maybe one other performer as well that we're still hoping to, to add to the, the evening. But this is going to be a cool night. Again, one that's very participatory and one that I think will be a really great opportunity for, um, you know, for us all to be together and 
enjoying our inner child a little bit, but encourage those. I always say uh, the Nats Conference is a great place to bring your family. I brought my kids for years. Uh, and they've always enjoyed hanging out, uh, you know, and being around, taking part of whatever's gone on in the city while they're there. And to know that, oh, yeah, I can go to this cool concert. Uh, that'll be really a blast. Uh, that's really something I know my kids will enjoy. Uh, will be another opportunity for for them to come. Um, and I, I I think to me I've I've both had earlier in my career I had Ella Jenkins come to a week long residency uh, where I was living in Tennessee, and then I had Red Grammar come and do a week, and they just hands down both just rolled over the community with their song and, you know, in the schools and with families and my kids just still, I mean, my oldest is 30. And when we get together in the summer, if something red grammar comes on or something Ella Jenkins, we're all singing and we're all back, you know, back years ago as if they're, they're still little kids learning and singing those songs. And so they're still a part of our family's lives. Um, so that's good. And then one of our big artists this time is John Holiday, And John is just a wonderful artist. He's been a Nats member for a good while. He kind of grew up in Nats as well. And uh, his career has just gone in so many wonderful directions. Uh, he already had a great career going in opera and classical music as a countertenor. Uh, but then, of course, he ended up on one of those big, big shows uh, and uh, and his career's just kind of exploded from his participation in the voice. And so and being a finalist there. And so, uh, you know, we're in for a treat to have him to sh share with us the you know, the unique uh, skill set that he has and kind of the diversity of it. Uh, and he's also going to give a master class. So we'll also get to hopefully hear singers from a diverse backgrounds, uh, you know, sharing a variety of styles in a master class uh, as well. And so, um, and then we'll have the winner's concerts of our NATSA and National Music Theater's uh, competitions. So we'll get to see those. Uh, and then uh, Stephen Sims is going to be our voice science plenary speaker. Uh, and Stephen's worked a lot in Chicago. He's a laryngologist. He's worked with uh, a, quite a diverse group of performers, uh, not just classical performers, but gospel singers and whole hosts of, of the, the gamut, really, of styles and uh, health issues and vocal issues that, that we all face. Uh, and he's also worked a lot uh, in health equity and how we can make sure access is available for those who have the kinds of problems that we have as performers. We're often, at least in America, um, you know, the access is not always there um, for these special needs that people like performers have. Um, so, I mean, that's just a smattering of all the big events, but, you know, one of the things that is so great is that, you know, we have a lot of breakout sessions that really allow uh, our members to shine in their expertise and share their expertise on the broader stage uh, and and just 
bring all that expertise and kind of crowdsource it in the, the, the NATS conference. And we have more breakout sessions than we've ever had. And I think when I counted, there are over 225 individuals wow. on the program. So, you know, obviously we have many sessions that have multiple presenters as part of them, but, you know, there are over 225, you mm -hmm. know, names on a list wow. of people we have to get organized sure. and all their materials um, for the program. So it's going to be really more presenters than ever before. Um, you know, just a really exciting time, a really a time where we can celebrate our art, some great mini recitals as well as part of some of the breakouts, um, poster sessions. We'll have a great exhibit hall with publishers and other vendors who are part of our industry. Um, and I think it's just going to be extra special because it's been so long that we've been together. I think it'll be really a great opportunity. And then we have some uh, premium workshop opportunities. We used to call them pre-conference workshops, but somebody told me that's kind of old-fashioned, so we had to come up with a new name <laughs> for my staff. So I said, okay, so we did. Uh, so, but uh, we've got one that um, our friend Nikki is going to be a presenter. I'm on so excited. Dana Lentini and Ginevra Williams on building music foundations for the young singer, which will be a wonderful uh, time. I, I know you guys are three of the best. And so it'll be great to have you all three in the same room talking about this topic because I know people will just eat it up. And then we're going to have an interesting workshop on that's more social media focused, but you know, so many of us are teachers and we got to deal with that, especially for private studio, we got to deal with social media angle on that. But then we're also performers and those needs aren't the same and the way we need to kind of approach that is not the same as we know. And so um, your social media friend and mine, Karen Michaels is going to be heading up that session, but especially on the teacher side, uh, but also Morgan James, who's an artist uh, and who has a wonderful presence on social media that she's developed over many years and very methodically. Um, you know, some of her videos, she, she was a performer early on uh, in postmodern jukebox that we all see on YouTube a lot. And some of those videos have tens of millions of views uh, now. And, uh, but even independently as an independent artist, she's produced her own record. She's done the whole, you know, tours. She's built social media presence. Um, that's, that's really wonderful. And she's got some great insights to that for the individual artist. Uh, and so we want to try to deal with both sides of, of ourselves, you know, as a teacher and as a performer and, and talk about those differences and talk about the real strategies and how we need, how we need to, to do our best in, in those uh, areas. Um, and then we've been really working in two directions from a, this gets a little curricular in nature, but it's really important, I think, for all of us. For a number of years, we've had a group of over 40 to 50 voice pedagogy teachers who've been meeting in summits. Um, and we're finally, that, that came, then there was an article that came out in Journal of Singing uh, in August. Uh, and we're kind of 
closing the loop on some of that with some really hard work over this year that will lead to a pre-conference workshop on how we reorganize voice pedagogy courses for the future and how we organize the content and how we make it broader and more relevant and how we can package things differently and make sure that we're helping people understand the broader aspects and the broader skill sets that people need as, as teachers of singing. Uh, and we're hoping that's really going to be transformative for higher education, especially. And then we've been working separately on um, expanding the art song canon. And uh, so we're just starting this project, but it's also going to lead to uh, a pre-conference workshop on how we expand the teaching of art song literature uh, in higher ed and how we're going to, you know, how we hope to kind of crowdsource that a little bit, but also come together so that we're thinking a little bit, I, I guess we could call it a little more common core uh, in our approach because we all have gotten students who come from an undergraduate to a graduate degree, for instance, and they just didn't get a good background in art song or didn't have a really great pedagogy experience. And so how can we improve that for the future? And also, of course, you know, we, we need to be leading the change, uh, particularly in the expansion and exposure of the diversity of art song. Uh, and that's been sorely needed for a long time. And this is our uh, way to feel like we can make uh, critical and substantive change. Because if we can encourage and get those who teach some of these classes, uh, a, a critical mass of them on the same page and really talking about the issues and how do we, how do we create uh, a course that really opens students' eyes and that they see themselves in the content as well, that they see themselves represented somewhere in that course uh, based on their background and how they come into music, then we'll, we will really make some great dis differences. And then for the first time ever, uh, we're going to have a workshop on demystifying hip-hop. Oh, uh, fun! Or, um, for teachers oh, and so good. performers. And we've got two great people. Melissa Foster, who's been a longtime Nats member. She's finishing up the book on hip hop and teaching hip hop uh, now. Should be out by the time the conference comes around. And then Tiffany Monique, who also lives in Chicago, teaches at Columbia College in Chicago, uh, popular music styles. And she's also done a lot of research and work in that area. And so, that's going to be a really exciting uh, opportunity for those who want to expand uh, their knowledge in that, you know, in that skill set in that area. And I think that's all, all of the pre-conference workshops. So, you know, those, sorry, premium workshops. And uh, so I think, you know, those are opportunities if you want to come a little early and, you know, the day before the conference starts and partake of those kind of four hour long exposures. Uh, that it'll be great. But, you know, Chicago is a great city. It's one of my favorite cities next to New York. Uh, there's just so much to do. Uh, we're right in the heart of downtown. It's the same hotel if you came the last time we were in Chicago. 
they've refreshed everything. I was just there a few weeks ago. It just looks wonderful. Um, and it just seemed like it's a great space for us. You know, uh, it's, it's just the right size for our conference, I think. And so we're hoping to just kind of blow out the walls on it this time and really expand it and, uh, and have just a wonderful celebration. Uh, so I hope that as many people, as many people are listening, will will take the opportunity, start saving your pennies, uh, find ways to get there and, uh, and really be a part of the community, uh, in, in the conference next summer. Oh, Alan, thank you so much. And I do want to encourage uh, my listeners. I had the pleasure of attending, uh, in 2018 and uh, it was it it really was an experience beyond words, and uh, just being around people, networking, talking, seeing performances, listening to experts, it just it really it fills your cup, and it just gives you so much inspiration and motivation moving into your next season of teaching. I can't recommend it enough. I'm going to put links to the new Nats website to the information about the conference. Um, there is early bird registration available. Um, and I would also like to mention for people who aren't members of Nats, they are still welcome to attend, of course. Um, and all of that is on the website. Um, Alan, thank you. They, you, you do such a good job of, of getting everybody so excited and there's just so much coming up at this convention. It's going to be fabulous. Yes. I'm so excited about it. And I, I think once you take a look at the website and everything, you'll just the excitement will build in your minds too. And you'll just kind of say, I have to be there. Right. Well, thank you so much. And we will have you back uh, on the podcast to keep us uh, up to date with everything happening at Nats. And again, I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Nikki. If you would like more information about the 2022 convention, visit natsnats.org forward slash Chicago 2022. Voice teacher and author Dana Lentini returns to the podcast. Today we are continuing our conversation about working with children in small group classes, but today we are talking about the ages and stages of the child singer. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast, my friend, my colleague, Dana Lentini. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Oh, we're doing so, so well. Thanks for asking. But I, I always get excited talking to you. You and I, we have similar pedagogy. We, we celebrate the child's voice. We love working with kids. We've both written books about it, which is fabulous. Your book, Teaching the Child Singer, is published by Hal Leonard, and it is a wonderful resource. Um, but you've also been helping a lot of teachers recently, um, who are interested in doing, uh, small group classes or group classes within their studios. So that's, that's our topic today. And we talked a little bit about it, um, a, a few podcasts ago, but I want to get into more of the specific details. So today I, I would really love to focus on, um, ages and stages. Cause I think that's, 
super important when we're planning our classes. Yeah, I, that it's it's a very important component again because when we're working with kids in high school or even middle school, they have they're a lot more similar in a lot of their development, you know, especially that their voice has changed. But beyond the voice changing, um, just a little background, a little history from my standpoint of how I really came to discover how unique the ages and stages were. So I've talked about how when I first started working with kids, it was in the classroom. And so when I was thrust into this teaching in the classroom thing that I didn't have any experience, I wasn't trained as a music education person. I I have my degree in performance. So I kind of learned on the job. And the classroom that I was in wasn't a classroom. They gave me, I had two weeks to get ready. And they gave me this big sturdy cart on wheels and a keyboard and my class list and said, ready, set, go. And so here was my class list. Okay, first off, I'm going to go down to the kindergarten classroom. So I wheel my cart into the kindergarten classroom, and they're all bright-eyed and so darling and so excited, and they can't wait to touch things and discover things. And then I, oh, it's time for me to go to my next class. Let's see. Oh, I have to go up to the third floor and go to the sixth grade classroom. So I wheel my cart into the sixth grade classroom, and there are all these kids sunken and sullen looking at me like, oh, the music teacher. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I have a sixth grader in my house right now, and I know exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. And so then from the sixth grade classroom, I'd go down to the second grade classroom and then the fourth. So I was teaching kindergarten through sixth grade. And it was, you know, just a mishmash of where was I going next? And so it was there that I really learned how unique and how your your teaching and your your pedagogy needs to change for these different ages and stages. So when you're doing a group class, having that understanding of, you know, what a five to seven year old might need that is different from what a 11 to 13 year old might need. And that's why I call it ages and stages, because again, when you're talking developmentally, um, cognitively, they're everybody's a little different, right? You could actually have a seven-year-old who sings at a more advanced level than a 13-year-old. And so that's why I try not to label anything as it's this, but as generalizations, okay? Because we do know that that 11 to 13-year-olds are going to start showing more um, pubescent, prepubescent changes and... um, and so some of the just the unique differences that I've just come to really understand, and, and I, in my book, I talk about them and I break them down into three categories. Of The first age and stage is the discovery singer, those five to seven-year-olds. And I call them discovery. Yeah, because again, I just remember that first classroom of kindergartners. They were just, they always want to know, what's that? What's that, Miss Dana? Oh, you know... I, you know, I'm on Zoom right now, and one of my little seven-year-olds immediately noticed that we have a new mascot sitting on the piano. I mean, she noticed it before 
I even said, how are you, you know, after the summer? I mean, they're so curious and they're discovering and they're and they're just, you know, learning things by hearing and seeing because, you know, not all of our five to seven year olds are even reading fluently yet. So they're decoding things. And so teaching them to sing is going to be a more oral experience and learning by rote than some of these older singers. Um, those five to seven year olds in a group class are going to enjoy sitting on the floor and doing floor activities and moving and changing locations, right? We all know that our older singers can stand for a whole 45 minute voice lesson or 45 minute voice class. Um, but those, those little ones, they need, they need some shifting and bringing them to different levels is really, really great. And then when we get into our next age and stage, I, I, I call them the learning singers because they're the ones that now in that age group of eight to 10, um, at least here in the US, around grade three is when they start, and that's like eight, eight to nine years old, that's when they start getting grades in school. And they have to start now, it's real school. And they have to sit at a desk all day. There's not story time on the carpet. You know, the kindergartners have nap time, <laughs> right? And snack time. And and so those older kids, it's more, they're they're really learning how to learn now, right? They're they're memorizing their math facts. So they're, you know, so memorizing their songs is going to have a different feel for them. They are reading now. So you can expect them and help them to really read the words on the page that you're giving them. Whereas those five to seven year olds, you might just be having them circle some of those sight words in their, you know, or just find the treble clef, right? There's just cute little um, things that we're asking them to locate and they're not reading it you know, line by line and really um, fluently reading all of that. So, um, you know, they're gaining more motor skills too at age eight to 10. So they can do things um, like clapping rhythms and things like that. There's just more, um, just more development of motor and cognitive ability um, as they get older. And then of course we have the what I call the growing singers because they're physically growing now right they're really starting to change physically in their sound and emotionally and so they're they're to me really different because now those kids are spending time alone with media more than your five and seven-year-olds. I personally don't know parents that are giving iPhones to their kids that young. They're playing with their parents' iPads. But kids that are getting in that to 11 to 13 age range are starting to own phones. And I know there are those few that are younger than that that have a phone, but I don't think the parents are letting them go to their room and listen to music and text friends. And so when that peer influence starts coming in and they're starting to listen to their own music, this changes the game big time, right? On top of the fact that they're having puberty changes, 
Um, and they are really expected now to work independently. Um, the parents aren't as involved in what the kids are doing. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I notice is the peer influence in that 11 to 13 age range. They're, they're even a little bit more insecure. That's why when I went into that sixth grade classroom, this, these weren't kids that signed up to take singing or music. These were kids that had to take it because it was a part of that sixth grade curriculum at this parochial school. Even in public schools, that's an elective. But at this school, it wasn't even an elective. They were required to take music through sixth grade. So that peer influence was huge there. I mean, they have to act like it's annoying. They have to act like it's, you know, not cool or I'm embarrassed to sing for my peers. You know, that whole peer influence is so, so huge at that age level. So when I teach my group classes, I take all of that into consideration. Mm, so helpful. I know that uh, one of the reasons why I recommend that teachers, you know, allow students before they get to that growing stage to start lessons, because I find it's easier when they start a bit younger, when they go through the the growing puberty, they're a little more graceful and they're a little more willing because it's already become kind of normalized, I find. And I know that they have more confidence. And I, I think that that I, I always, when a new student comes to my studio and they want to start and they are 12, 13 or 11, 12, 13. I always feel like I'm going to have so much work to do and I'm going to have to work so hard to make them feel comfortable. So I, I always cringe a little bit. Yes. So, so special and so important because one of the things that I do really focus on in my teaching and my studio is self-love for your unique voice. And again, that's what I, I love about teaching group classes, which is different than a choir. Because in a choir, it's about blending and unifying this sound. And voice, um, private lessons and group voice is about that self-love. So exactly what you just said, it just it kind of gave me goosebumps to just think about it again in that you know context. Because when they have self-love before they get to that peer-driven insecurity, if they already know that, hey, I'm a really good singer or I feel really confident in my own voice, then they can go through puberty knowing that, you know, they've already got that self-love. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I have another question for you because this always comes up there's teachers are starting their class and they're like, okay, well, I'm just getting started and I don't have enough for uh, this class and that class. Is it okay? Dana's like nodding and <laughs> yes. Okay. And uh, cause we've all had to deal with this. Is it okay to have some say discovery singers with the learning singers? Like, is it okay to mix and match the ages and stages? She's yes. laughing. You can't, nobody no, can see her. because you know what? Yeah, that, that is, that there is advantages and disadvantages. And like everything, you have to have a can-do attitude. <laughs> um, or you also have the, 
I, I know what my ideal class is going to look like. But when we're in the beginning stages, when we're just planting our seeds, right, we have to um, do trial and error, a lot of trial and error. And this is why I'm a big advocate of very intentional teaching. I take notes. Um, I have lesson plans that I make out. And we do maybe 40% of the plans that I make out. Um, and, and I write what worked, what didn't work. Why didn't we get to this? Did I really need to get to this? You know, how did this go off? And how did we end up getting to that point in this class? Um, but going back to the advantages and disadvantages, I, if, if you will um, allow me another quick little story. When I first did, now my very first group class, I had an overwhelming response and sign up. I think I had 15 to 18 students. And they were my very first group class, and so I didn't know what to expect. And I was doing it in a community arts center, and they handled all of my registrations for me. And so um, when I got to the class, there was mostly, I would say, 10 to 13-year-old kids in the class. And there was one little girl who was in kindergarten, but this was started in the fall. And I think she was four just turning five. So she would have turned five in October. And all of them were sitting on chairs. And of course, a little child too, this is another thing to think about when you know, you're know you creating your class. If you're gonna put them all on chairs in say a choir room that's for an adult choir at a church and you're gonna have all five to seven year olds, well, guess what? They're all gonna be really uncomfortable in that giant chair with their little feet dangling <laughs> and they're gonna be slouching because they can't really sit comfortably. So anyway, I had this little girl that had signed up for the class because her parents told the registrar, oh, she's almost five, and of course she's very advanced for her age. Well, the first five minutes of the class, I look over and she's welling up in tears. Oh no. And she starts crying, I miss my mommy. Oh, and so no. she comes over to me and says, can I sit on your lap? <gasps> and so I got her up on my lap and I just like looked out at this other class, this whole class of filled with these singers. I thought, this is not fair to these singers that... So the end of that story is I went back to the registrar and I said, we're going to have to, you know, move her out of this class. You know, this, this didn't work out. And we did. And I carried on from there. Now, had I been working with that class and now as a more advanced teacher, one of the advantages of something like that, say if I had had that class and I knew these singers and I knew that one of these 12 year olds or even nine year olds over here was one of my leaders in the group that, you know, you get to know these kids after, you know, over time. And this is one of the questions that comes up that has come up with me and my teacher training as well is, okay, how do you repeat the class? And how do you, okay, if you did this fall session, how do those matriculate into the next session? And some kids leave and some new kids come in. And what I say is, Again, that peer influence, what's so wonderful is you take those older kids and you say, hey, you know, Betsy over here is really sad. Sarah, can, can, can she sit by you and can you help her? So those older kids now become 
leaders in their group and they can so maybe when they come up to sing maybe they're buddies with that that with that younger singer so you know i i have done both um when i was doing an after school group class i ran it for one year and i just it was general i think i made it ages 6 to 12 because you're always going to get that person that's got that five and a half year old that wants to sneak in and that 12 year old that's almost 13. So I kind of narrowed it a little bit and, and you know, you could narrow it even more. You can make it seven to 11 if you want, because you're always, if somebody's dying to do it, they're going to say, oh, she's six. Can she please do it? And you're like, you know, and if they talk to you and they, and you explain to them the expectations, then there's a little bit more of a relationship there. And maybe not the registrar that handled it. But um, when you're matriculating and somebody is staying, you know, session after session, and I've had those. I've had some singers that have stayed for two, three years and just keep repeating the class. You can invite those older singers to take on that leadership role. And if they know your system, then in that class, maybe if I have eight songs that are set that we're going to learn, I can say to that singer that's been with me now for two years and say, hey, if there's a song that you would like to sing, maybe you know the routine now, you pick a song and you bring it in. So then they, then those little ones see, oh, I can get to that, you know? And so there's just that beautiful matriculation that can go on with peer influence of having leadership and things. But I, I'm sorry, I got off a little off track there because I was talking about when I was doing this one class and I'd been doing it for a year. So the next year I did it, I broke it up. So instead of the seven to 12, I now made it five to eight and then nine to 13. And so then that's once you've are building and growing, then you can start to say, oh, I've got so many people now that want to take this. So now you can break them off into different groups. And and just like you can say, oh, I really would like that one to come to my private studio because they need a little extra help or they're very advanced or whatever the case may be, maybe this time doesn't work for them and maybe they really love singing, they realize it and they really want one-on-one. Um, so you, you can, once you develop, you can find what works for you. And But I think, yes, when you're first starting out in a group class, you do need to kind of open your mind to those possibilities. But having a four-year-old with 13-year-olds That can be a little tricky if you've never done it before. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you for sharing that information, but also for sharing those stories, because I think that those personal, you know, moments that didn't go as smoothly are are helpful. And I'll just chime in. I, I, uh, I, I did experience something similar to that. I had a, a young child that 
was um, definitely far younger emotionally than the other group. And she, it was really challenging. She, she demanded a lot of attention. She wanted, and, and she did not like it when the attention was not on her. And it was really challenging. And I had to do a little, uh, I had to do a little creative teaching. And, and these are the things, it's these challenges that fill our teaching toolbox with strategies, you know, so you can, you can go on the forums and, and I hope that you do come to the voice teachers for young singers forum and you can ask questions, but you're going to really truly hone your skills in the act of problem solving and being challenged. Um, and I want to share one quick little story. I had a, uh, I had a small group class and I had, um, it was it started with a parent who was desperate and said, can their little sister come to the class? Uh, cause I, right. And I was very, very welcoming of that. And I thought, you know, that's a great idea because all of my singers had little sisters. So I thought we should have a little sister class. And of course the parents were like, that's a fabulous idea. But it wasn't a fabulous idea because the little <laughs> sisters did not want to be told by big sisters how things went down and how things were to be. And some of the little sisters were downright like, I am having nothing to do with my bigger sister. And it, it didn't go as smoothly as I thought. And again, another learning opportunity because what I discovered is that the little sisters were ready for a small group class, but just not with their big sisters. So there yeah. you go. That is so funny that you tell that story because I actually did do a small group class with two sisters and exactly that the little sister would get so mad. But again, you know what I, what I, what I did is in that moment, you know, you're, you're problem solving, quick thinking, I paired the little one up with another of the singers and that singer. So now that singer is in charge of that little sister instead of their big sister. <laughs> and that because you know what? It's just like our own children. They'll take advice. Like now that I have young adult children, they'll say things to me that they they heard from a professor or something in college. And I'd be like, I've been saying that to you for years, but when they don't hear it from a loved one or a family member, it's like new information. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Dana, I can't thank you enough. It's always wonderful to talk to you and, and uh, your book, Teaching the Child Singer. Let everybody know where they can find that. Yeah, you can find that. Um, well, on the Hal Leonard website, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely on the Hal Leonard website. And you can find it on my website, borntosingkids.com. Um, I have a tab there for teachers with all kinds of information on my courses and mentorship training that I do. And um, I have a blog and also the link to my book. And they can find it on Amazon. If they're um, international, there's also Sheet Music Plus. Um, also is distributed distributing it and also there is an ebook version that um you can get your hands on if you don't want to have a hard copy yeah beautiful dana oh. we'll have you back i love these conversations thank you so much and have a delightful day
Thank you, you too. If you are interested in learning more about small group classes and you're looking to get started with some fabulous information, I want you to visit Dana's website, borntosingkids.com. Dana has teacher training coming up in January, and you can find all of the information about these classes on her website. A very special thank you to my wonderful guests, Sean Trotter, Alan Henderson, and Dana Lentini. You can find more details on the show notes. My friend and colleague, I would love if you would find and follow us, The Full Voice Podcast, on Instagram. Very simple, at Full Voice Podcast. We share all, uh, we share clips and fun things and outtakes from the show, and uh, we would love to connect with you there. As always, I am wishing everyone inspired teaching, happy singing, and as we head into the holidays, happy holidays and a strong start to an exciting new year. All right. Or be nice to me. <laughs> Why? All right. <clears throat> okay.